0: term a podcast about the supreme court by law 360 i'm jimmy hoover i cover the court here in washington and joining me from new york is co-host natalie rodriguez how are you today natalie
1: hey jimmy pretty good feel like i'm finally catching a bit of a breath uh this week uh you know it's an off week for the court they're actually on a break until their february session which i feel they should be just calling their march session since it starts so late into february
0: yeah the justices are uh off oral argument duty for the foreseeable future um, which kind of gives them the chance to catch up on some of their other work like you know dealing with some of the cases that have been piling up. So let's just take stock a little bit about where we are in the term so it's late January and at this point the court has mostly if not completely filled up its docket through the rest of the term meaning that uh, I think that any cases that it takes from here on out will probably be bumped to um, the next term the October 2021 term it granted a flurry of new cases um, earlier in January I I think the idea there is that they're trying to get them set and on schedule for briefing so that they could be argued by the end of the term but in the meantime the court has been kind of turning down a lot of cases and uh, delaying action in others
1: yeah, it's crazy just to to be thinking that they're already going to be starting to schedule the next term. Uh, but you're right; there were quite a number of uh high-profile denials this week, which we're going to be talking about later. Um, but I think we have to start this episode uh, talking about the next impeachment.
0: That's right. There was some interesting news this week, uh, from Senator Patrick Leahy. So there was. Just to back up, there was a lot of speculation about whether uh, Chief Justice John Roberts was going to preside over uh, former President Donald Trump's second impeachment. And that is because...
1: Which we last week were saying that he probably wouldn't want to. And indeed, we got the news. He doesn't want to.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he definitely found an escape hatch for this one uh, telling... Uh, senate majority leader chuck schumer that he had no interest in the job i'm curious about what the actual communications were if you know he uh kind of supported his position with any kind of legal memo or his reading of the impeachment clause which i guess under his view suggests that the chief justice only presides when it's a sitting uh president of the united states
1: yeah, I would love to get my hands on if there was any, like, official communication or even unofficial email, like, saying, like, nah, I passed. Sorry. Uh, but for now, the the role is actually going to go to the most senior Senate Democrats Sen- and Senator Patrick Leahy from Vermont, who uh, actually had a bit of a health scare the the other day. But he has since gone out of the hospital and said that he does plan to continue on in his role
0: yeah and I think it's interesting because there's this um there's this constitutional debate right about whether you can actually um, try a former president under the impeachment under the impeachment clause and a lot of Republicans are arguing that you can't um, even though the Senate has already voted now and they're going to proceed with the uh, impeachment trial but uh, Chief justice Roberts's absence from the proceedings according to some Republicans is kind of contributing to that argument there it's emboldening that argument that this is not a constitutional impeachment of course we already know that you know pretty much whatever the senate does when it comes to impeachment goes because there's no judicial review under a uh, supreme court precedent actually from the 1990s involving a, a federal district judge who was essentially appealing or challenging his impeachment in the supreme court in the case uh, Nixon versus United States, not to be confused with President Richard Nixon. Uh, it was actually Judge Nixon. Uh, the Supreme Court said that this is a non-justiciable uh, political question there. So for, however the Senate decides to, to, to go here, which I think we already know that they're going to proceed with a trial later in February, it doesn't look like this is going to be reviewed in the courts. And it will probably result in an acquittal anyway.
1: Certainly one will be keeping an eye on But in the meantime, uh, I think we should talk about what happened this week at the court.
0: That's right. So as I said earlier, um, there's been a lot of high-profile cert denials. That's kind of what we say when the court turns away cases.
1: And a lot of mootness, I feel. Right.
0: Yeah, mootness has kind of been the word of the term so far. It's it's come up time and again. Um, So a few episodes back, we talked about how the Supreme Court seems to be sitting on a lot of these Trump cases, you know, essentially running out the clock on uh, petitions that were from former President Donald Trump. One of which, um, actually two of which, I should say, involved appeals from Trump to essentially escape lawsuits that were filed, trying to hold him accountable for violations of the Emoluments Clause. That was like the long-running story of the Trump administration was this Emoluments Clause issue, the idea that Trump can't actually receive uh, benefits or payments from foreign diplomats or foreign governments, And like uh, the plaintiffs in these cases were alleging that he was, uh, by dint of his real estate holdings, his Trump International Hotel in Washington and his other properties, so, you know, obviously the, uh, this, uh, the two courts of appeals that essentially ruled against Trump on this question and he had appealed up to the Supreme Court and for, you know, the final weeks or even months of his term, uh, the justices were kind of sitting on their hands and not taking any action in the case until Monday.
1: But those weren't the only cases the court mooted on Monday. Uh, the court also dismissed two closely watched abortion rights cases, uh, one from Texas, the other from Tennessee, that had been challenging state orders that restricted abortion access because of the pandemic. Um, the Texas a Texas executive order had barred, you know, all surgeries and procedures, not immediately medically necessary. Tennessee, meanwhile, had required, you know, that all like non-essential or elective surgeries be put on hold while the COVID-19 pandemic was going on. both were deemed to apply to abortions um, and were challenged. But the, the court, you know... Uh, decided to dismiss. Texas has since changed its executive order to not include abortions, and Tennessee's order actually expired uh, back in April.
0: So just for the listeners out there, mootness is probably a thing that we're going to continue to see for the rest of the term. There are other cases that the Trump administration was litigating this term that we could see potential shifts in position by... Um, This new Biden administration and the personnel that they've placed in the office of the solicitor general, they could, you know, obviously file supplemental briefs or what have you, or they could just rescind the policies which would render some of these disputes moot. So I don't think that's the last of the cases that the Supreme Court is going to throw out from the Trump era, but uh, obviously we shall see.
1: Yeah, with so much, you know, change just happening in the outside world, essentially from the administration to the pandemic and you know, everything in between, I think this is just what happens, right? With a lot of these legal actions that were started months months ago.
0: Exactly, but Natalie, you were watching another high-profile case that got turned away from the court on Monday.
1: Yes, uh, the court has decided to not take up the appeal of Sheldon Silver's uh, corruption case. So I think this is one that a lot of legal industry folks are very familiar with. Because back in 2015, it was like the big scandal that the former New York State Assembly Speaker uh, was arrested uh, for allegedly receiving millions in bribes and kickbacks through law firms uh, in exchange for legislative action and state funding. You know, everyone had kind of been watching whether he might get pardoned as part of Trump's, Trump's big final 11th hour wave of pardons. He did not. Um, And so his last, you know, his last stand here was with the Supreme Court. But in a uh, but the the court decided to not grant his appeal. Uh, So it was not a unanimous decision, though. Justice Gorsuch, uh, joined by Justice Thomas, wrote that they would have granted the case because they think there's this long running error from one of their previous uh, from a previous 1992 Supreme Court case that they'd like to tackle um uh, which basically is whether the court has conflated bribery and extortion.
0: This sounds like a lot of the other corruption cases, public corruption cases that the um that the Supreme Court has been interested in in recent years. Um and I think that's probably why you saw Silver kind of frame his appeal that way, right? The idea that there's like these overzealous prosecutors who are kind of conflating different uh you know crimes.
1: Yeah, he definitely did, you know just back in 2016 the court uh took up a case from, from another corruption case this one from virginia that basically you know and and basically found that you know the prosecutors are overreached and you know there was no quid pro quo and then they kind of put it out of these like stricter standards for you know finding quid pro quo corruption um and we saw it just last term the the, the court tossed uh the convictions of two former New Jersey officials uh, that were tied to the Bridgegate scandal um, for for similar reasons. So you know it, th- this was being watched as perhaps being along those lines of the court having a chance to further cinch in prosecutorial power. But it seems like maybe they've just had enough <laughs> after after the the t- twenty sixteen case and, and the Bridgegate cases, and maybe they're they're just. Uh, waiting to, to see how things kind of ruminate from those decisions.
0: Well, I guess you could say that Silver's case was just a bridge too far for the... <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, our, our our producer will have to put a, a room shot in uh, post. But uh, Well, moving on to a, <laughs> another uh, kind of interesting uh, cert denial. Uh, well, this was actually a number of cases um, that I'll just refer to as Janus Part 2. So everybody remembers the well, not everybody, I suppose, but uh, uh, a lot of court watchers will remember that in 2017, the Supreme Court held in its Janus decision um, that public sector employees had a constitutional right to not pay what are called fair share fees to public sector unions. Uh, fair share fees were kind of an integral tool that uh, the public sector unions used at the time to get rid of what they saw as the free rider problem. Um You know where people would who are not in the union benefit from their uh, their bargaining, collective bargaining, without actually having to pay their dues. But the Supreme Court said that under the First Amendment, these non-members don't actually have to pay those uh, dues. And so this these cases had continued to be litigated all over the country in various states, and they dealt with the question of whether the um, unions had to essentially pay refunds to uh, these state employees who had actually paid some of these uh, fair share fees before the Supreme Court had struck them down, and the Supreme Court um, decided that it wasn't going to hear any of these cases, and I think it was notable that there wasn't even a single recorded dissent, so they at least seem to think that there's no, you know, real legal issue here that needs to be cleared up by the courts. I understand that there's some, there's a general level of unanimity among Uh, the lower courts on this legal issue so they didn't feel compelled that they needed to step in but uh, uh, kind of a big update for the labor world there i would say
1: i'm sure there there's a lot of folks out there that uh are upset to not see the sequel to janice essentially
0: (laughs) (laughs) certainly janice is
1: you're on a roll jimmy (laughs) (laughs) so i think that just about does it for uh news from the court this week kind of you know, as we said, uh, uh, up top, it's just a bit of housekeeping, essentially, to to, to get everyone up to date. Um, but I think before we leave, I also wanted to touch on, you know, uh, kind of uh, the retirement watch that, that we seem to My be on favorite, now. favorite
0: retirement <laughs> gossip.
1: So we talked last week, you know, that with Biden, now there's a, a bit of a, this this watch. And, you know, we, we, we seem to have potentially gotten a hint or a piece of the puzzle to whether Breyer might take an opportunity to retire uh, after this term. Um, On Saturday, David Ladd, who, you know, big name legal consultant, well-known industry blogger who has always kept a close eye on Supreme Court clerk comings and goings, noted that Breyer's hired just one clerk for the next term. And he usually hires pretty far out. So, you know, could this be a telltale sign? purely speculation of course but you know speculation just had, bit, just had uh, to toss that out there
0: yeah <laughs> it's speculative but i mean as good as anything anyone's got so let's just roll with it right uh, but true. until yeah <laughs> until there's any updates there you know a lot of people had speculated that clarence thomas was going to step down under uh, the trump administration um, until he came out publicly and said he had no intention of doing so, and he was going to stick around for a while. So until Breyer, you know, indicates one way or the other, this is essentially the only minor piece of evidence that we have. Um, but I think that it would make sense, right? I mean, we've talked about this before, that um, I, think, I think the Justice Ginsburg episode, you know, the fact that she didn't want to step down under a Democratic president, and she was criticized for it uh, from uh, a lot of progressives and a lot of Democrats, and she was ultimately replaced by someone who I, I think can fairly be said doesn't share her legal philosophy and you gotta you gotta assume that Breyer's gonna be you know a little bit cognizant of that
1: yeah I think you know that's fair to say that that's probably on his mind I think to some extent it's probably on every justice mind now, just you know part of what it means to be a justice in these times at uh, the supreme court so uh we will continue to keep an eye out
0: if you have any tips for us you know please drop us a line or if you know justice Breyer, you're out there listening uh, and you want to kind of give a a big announcement you know you're welcome to do so come on the show anytime
1: yes and and that's a that's an invitation i think we would extend to every justice <laughs> if you ever just want to come and chat we we are here <laughs> So, Jimmy, I think that just about does it for us uh, this week. Thanks so much.
0: Yeah, thanks, now And thanks to our listeners for tuning in.
1: We'd like to thank our producers and editors, Stephen Schrader and Danielle Smith, our executive producer, Amber McKinney, and our contributing reporters this week, Adam Lidget, Tim Ryan, and Stuart Bishop. Music for this show comes from Slenderbeats. For more information about all the high court action, please go to law360.com slash the term. You can also find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search Law360 in the term. Thanks for listening. And oh, please write us a review.